Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Hi, my name is Nancy, and I am a grateful recovering ethanol. And I have to, I have to thank Nancy for asking me because um, the last sixty days I have been on hot pursuit of step eleven because I know that I cannot do this alone because it is not in me to do it alone. And so I'm grateful that um, she has uh, asked me so that I can grow because I don't want to stagnate. I want to continue to grow in my program. And in order to do that, I have to be willing to step outside my comfort zone. And believe me, this is not my comfort zone. Um, So uh, I just need to tell you, for people that don't know me, that I have been in the program for three and a half years. And um, I have not lived with my husband for two and a half, but we continue to uh, individually work programs and try to connect best we can one day at a time. Um, My childhood, I came from a dysfunctional family. I am an adult child of an alcoholic, and I don't perceive that any longer as an accident because these are the things that have come into my life to help me know what I want, even if those things have been negative. They tell me I don't want them. So, my hope is that today as you listen to my story, that you will not hear a victim, that that you will realize that whatever your story is, I know that what mine is, is really an opportunity to learn, to love, and to grow one day at a time. And it's about forgiveness, which can be very difficult because I would, in myself, I would prefer to stay angry and uh, self-righteous because I'm not the one with the problem. But I'm here to tell you I do have a problem. So... Uh, With that, oh, I better start my timer. Um, So my dad was alcoholic, and uh, he he was uh, he was functional during the week, but on weekends um, he became uh, very drunk. And when he would come home, he would be physically abusive toward my mother. And so, as a child, uh, on those occasions when that occurred. If he wasn't home by a certain time, I knew that it was not going to be good. So I would retreat to my room with a book. And so I can tell you that my safety zones still are within a book and in my my room because that's my space. And I'm ever so grateful that although he, he did what he did, he did not ever enter that space. He never opened that door. I had the fear that he might open that door, but somehow he never opened that door. And for that, for that I'm grateful but, you know, it took therapy for me. I mean, I used 12 steps, but I've also used whatever else I can get hold of, you know, to get to the core of my stuff. So in therapy, I had to go to therapy to realize that I had still been a victim of abuse because I could hear it through the door. Um, but somebody had to tell me that. I did not realize that that had anything to do with me. But I did suffer on the other side of that door. 
Um, and also, of course, this is in a retrospect that possibly my dad is SA. You know, we all have to come to our own decision about who we are and what our stuff is. But I can remember that um, there was pornography in the house. I can remember that um, sometimes we would go to the drive-in and um, he would tell me and my brother to get down in the back seat and just go to sleep because we weren't supposed to see what was going on up there. And I also know that in the end, my mother left him um, because he had an affair. But for me, as a child, which I brought a picture of me, because I have to, you know, I have to acknowledge this little girl that's in me because she has fears, and her fears are that me, that I won't take care of her, and that I'm going to put her in an unhealthy relationship. And so I just affirm to you that, um, to her and you as my witnesses, that, I can. I have choices that I can provide a safe space for me to live and to grow. Um, so uh, that leaves my mom. My mom was, of course, you know, an Anon, and I can tell you that I qualify for probably every Anon program that's out there uh, because I've been married four times, each with different addictions. And, of course, in my distorted thinking, I always thought it was about them and that I chose the wrong one. I'm getting ahead of myself, so. Anyway, um, what I what I learned from my mom or observed that I don't even think she realizes that she gave me is I observed her um, accepting unacceptable behavior. I've seen her. Uh, I've seen her with black eyes. Uh, my dad has stomped her in the head so much that she's lost hearing and she she sometimes gets dizzy uh, because of that. And uh, it took her 13 years. To finally get enough. And so I can remember as a kid thinking, by God, I ain't waiting no 13 years. So I have a history of hanging out in a, in a marriage about three and a half years, and I got to go. So uh, that's kind of been a pattern that, you know, I've been able to see through my four steps. And also I want to state also up front that the things that I share right now, I am totally powerless over. And these are the things that have made my life unmanageable but also that I have been given through the program, through my higher power, that um, uh, I don't have to stay there, that I can release the past and, and have the gifts of the program, and that is why I keep coming back, because of the gifts. And uh, I can say that I heard this morning, you know, I thought, it's going to happen like that. It's a very, very slow process, and it continues to be a slow process, but there is you know, there is progress, and so I have to give my higher power credit for that, um, that progress, because in reality, I could still be doing the same old stuff that I used to do, which is insanity, and I want a different life. Um, so, I need to also say, because this is one of my patterns, and, and I do not blame my parents. I, I really ha have come to know that they really were doing the best they could. But at the same time, as a child, I had feelings about those particular things. And I thought that if I just ran away from them and I didn't look at them, that they wouldn't exist. And so in recovery, I've learned that I have to, in order for me to have serenity, I have to go back, for me, I have to go back and feel those feelings. And as I have allowed myself to feel those feelings, um, they resolve and they no longer control me. And so I was thinking last night, as I, I, you know, I've had like 60 days notice of this thing, and every day I pray to my higher power, okay, now you've asked me to do this, I expect you to be there, you know, kind of thing. And um, 
And I've been fine except for the last two days. Every once in a while, fear just <gasps> overtakes me, you know, and it's like, oh, I'm powerless, I'm powerless. You know, serenity prayer, serenity prayer. And last night I tossed and tumbled and everything, and it's like, where's this coming from? What does this feel like? And it reminded me of how I felt as a child waiting for my dad to come through that door because I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how ugly it's going to be. No, I don't know if somebody's going to die. And so I connected with that child within me that, oh, my gosh, see, I'm feeling threatened. Like, what's happening right now is going to be my death. And, and so I have mixed messages in my head, distorted thinking that the program allows me to look at, to confront, and untangle those things and bring me clarity. So uh, let's see here. So because of this house that I grew up in, um, they both were unavailable emotionally. Um, we didn't hug, we didn't kiss, we didn't say we loved each other. All I can really remember is that I existed. I was supposed to be invisible, quiet, out of the way, do what I was told. So I didn't, I didn't know how to have my feelings. It wasn't okay. It wasn't okay to cry. It wasn't okay to get mad because see, my dad demonstrated he took over the house with his anger. So he had enough anger in the house for all of us, and we didn't have permission to have our anger. Uh, but in the program, thank you all ever so much. I have anger. I have anger about some things, and I have a right to that anger, and I have a right to feel it, and I have a right to express it, and then let it go. Because I also know that I could be stuck in anger, because I have learned that anger protects me. Because if I'm angry, then, you know, I'm putting a distance between you and me. And I'm in that self-righteous mode. But under all of my anger, I have noticed that there is, there's hurt and there's sadness. And to be there is vulnerable. And um, to be vulnerable is scary. But if I'm going to grow, i got to be willing to be vulnerable. Um, I can um, say that they provided for my physical needs. Um, and basically, that's really all that I can get out of it. I heard a tape, uh, I guess about a week ago, that asked me if I could think of one good thing that they did and focus on that. Because I know that part of my victimhood is if I continue to replay the story, I continue to be the victim. And so this tape that I was listening to asked me to find one good thing that I could think of, of, of you know, my parents, because it was about parenting. And, and so I was absolutely, I was like, okay, God. You're going to have to help me there because, you know, I don't see a I don't see anything that I can say good about my dad. And then I let it go. But then in a couple of days, I do remember one good thing. I actually remembered three. I can't remember right now because I'm under stress. But the one thing that I absolutely remember is that uh, my dad, he ruined every Christmas that I ever can remember and um, with his drunkenness and his anger. And uh, which is my next part here. But... Uh, I got married, and I had three kids, and I had a very hard time taking care of those kids. But every Christmas, my dad would show up with money to buy those kids Christmas. And it's like, thank you, God, for helping me find one good thing about my dad. Because he, honest to God, was doing the best he could do with what he had. And because he doesn't share, I don't know how bad he had it. He's not there yet, and we're not in a relationship where we can go there. But I I can begin to have understanding and some compassion where I used to not, and that is the gift of the program. Um, and for this, I am thankful. So, again, my response to this kind of uh, childhood was I isolated in my room. I escaped with the books. 
and I really got the message that the world was not a safe place to be, and it was not okay to be me in this world. And um, so I lived in a lot of fear and a lot of sadness. And so um, I knew how to be invisible. Um, somewhere between um, grades two and four, I just need to say out loud that I was exposed to a lot of sexual um, behavior from older cousins um, that, again, I didn't realize could have been, you know, actual stuff against me because I, I didn't know. I just thought that we were exploring. But the real thing is that I didn't know how to say no. Nobody taught me anything about my sexuality. It wasn't until I was in therapy that my therapist had to tell me, Nancy, your sexuality is precious and you don't have to give it away to anybody if you don't want to. And that was such a big whoo. I didn't get that, you know. And um, so I can have compassion. A lot of this stuff for me is learning to forgive myself and have compassion on myself for where I've been because I am a perfectionist and I am the worst critic, my own worst critic. And so the program and everything put together asked me to have compassion on myself. And so I realized that I did not say no because I did not know how to say no because I'd never seen anybody say no. And I nobody taught me that I could say no. Um, uh, my dad and mom, they divorced whenever I was 13, and I can tell you that I was very happy about this. Sad, I remember being sad, but happy because I knew that the physical violence was no longer going to control the house. But I'm here to tell you, if you've read any kind of self-help stuff, uh, you remove one piece, uh, somebody might try to take that place. So, guess what? I became the rebel. I was once the conformist, uh, you know, do everything right, uh, out the window. I... It was I, I turned into chaos. And um, so I, too, have um, used drugs. I've used alcohol. And I realized after doing a four-step specifically on my relationships that I also used relationships um, to get my needs met in the sense that in the, in the, pro, in the problem where we say uh, we see sex as the most important sign of love, when I first came to the program, I thought, I don't. No, I don't believe that. I don't believe that statement until my therapist asked me to write a four-step about my relationships. And then I, when I looked at it, I thought that if I gave myself away to someone that guaranteed that we were connected, that I was loved, and they weren't going anywhere. So I have a lot of, I have a history that has caused me great shame and pain, but I've learned, I learned in treatment, I went to treatment for 30 days that when I share my shame, I cut it in half. And uh, I'm very grateful for that because secrets, I've, you know, my secrets are what keeps me sick. And uh, I, I'm ready to release my secrets and, and let them go because I want to be free. Okay. Uh, I need to also state that uh, in my rebellion, uh, my mom got remarried, and of course, you know the pattern. Uh, she left one alcoholic and got another one. But in this other one, uh, instead of uh, being the one physically abused, she became the physical abuser. So she kind of switched it around there. And um, and I didn't like him. He wasn't going to tell me what to do because he's not my dad. <laughs> and so uh, I got the bright idea that I was going to move back with my dad. And when I did that, um, something happened to me that, again, I would have not known was abuse unless it be for therapy. 
Uh, but one of my dad's friends, he, and I'm guessing because I don't really know, he was between 30 and 40 years old, uh, befriended me and took me on a trip and um, gave me attention and uh, made me feel loved. And so I felt like he was going to be there for me. And so I can tell you that, you know, I, I had sex with him. And I thought I consciously made that decision and I did it on my own. But the real fact is I was seduced. He was an older man. And he was way out of his out of his bounds. But in my greenness, in my innocence, I, I didn't see that um, as abuse until you know treatment and, and other things. And and I wanna I wanna state that and I wanna claim that um, so that the shame does not bind me. I was really doing the best I could do at the time <laughs> with what knowledge I had. And I'm telling you, my knowledge was limited. So. Um, what I want to say about my stepdad is uh, he is the first person that I ever knew that uh, decided to have a program. He was an alcoholic, and he was the first one that um, stepped out there and and went to meetings. And um, I seen a transformation in a human being that I thought could never occur. And so he is my one physical example, you know, back in these days before all you all that there, there is a choice that I can make here. I, I can be different because, I mean, I've seen a fallen-down drunk be a respectable, respectable caring, um, responsible man. And, um, and I'm grateful for that. And this past Thanksgiving, I was able to see that one good thing and in a Thanksgiving card thank him for doing that because it has given so much to me because you all, this program gives me life. Um, so uh, when I was about 15 and a half, I met my first husband. Um, he was blonde and he was cute. <laughs> um, and um, at this time, I I was, uh, drugs and alcohol was not doing it for me. It was making me miserable. And I had made a decision within myself that, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be like this. And I, when I met him, he was using. And so, guess what? I was going to rescue him. I was going to love him enough and he was going to stop because I was going to love him enough. And, you know, that's why my dad was the way he was because my mom didn't love him enough. You know, distorted thinking. Um, and I can tell you that did not happen. Even after we're talking 20 years, um, God, this past summer, allowed me, again, God provides opportunities, to see this person and to have a short little men situation that I'm grateful for. I don't know if anything else needs to happen with that. Um, i got to be open to my higher power with that, and I'll probably say more about that in a minute, but... Out of this relationship, I, I do know when I, again, all in retrospect, our relationship was all sex. It was all sex. That's about all we did together. I can't really tell you time that we ever did anything else other than that we didn't have a connection. And I married him. And I got pregnant. And um, I can tell you that I quit school because I knew everything. And plus, you know, he didn't want me to go to school. It was a threat. And my God, I don't want to lose him. So I quit school. And I have no, I have no job skills. You know, I thought I really am a Cinderella thing. I really thought that the ultimate goal was marriage, and that was my destination. I didn't know there was shit that's supposed to go on after that, <laughs> okay? But boy, God knows how to bring me what I need to grow. And this situation, you know, is the most painful situation, but the most growth-producing situation. 
And so anyway, I had three kids with this man, and um, I can tell you that uh, we we did not have finances to take care of these kids. I can tell you that churches paid our rent. I can tell you lights have been turned off. I can tell you I've been on food stamps. I can tell you that um, I have been on, uh, in Kentucky it's called AFDC, trying to survive. And, um, you know, coming out of this uh, alcoholic home, I still had distorted thinking that I was going to get married, have the white picket fence, and everything was going to be fine. And this reality of, of where I was, my pride was, oh, God, this this could not be happening to me. Every day it's happening to me, but in my mind, this is this is not okay. This is not what I signed up to do. This is not what I expected. My disease, expectations out there. And so in my disease, well, let me say this also, because this is important. Again, looks a little like sexaholism to me. Um, I found out that he was having an affair. And at the time, you know, I'm 18, and he's having an affair with a 14-year-old. And um, and I've got his three kids. This is not good. This, this I, you know, this is this is not good. And um, so anyway, because of my pride, uh, you know, I had to do something. So I felt so I did that geographical cure. I said, me and my kids, we are going to Florida, and I'm going to get a job, and I'm going to take care of them, and we are not going to be on food stamps, and we are not living in housing projects. I was going to do it all. Reality check. Get down there. And what do I have to do? I have to cut my pride. I got to ask for help. So, and I can't go, you know, my time is very limited. And so I can't go into all the details. And you know what? I don't have to. I could because that's part of my disease. I want to justify, rationalize, and make you understand. But, nah, I don't have time. Um, so, anyway, I can say that I, I gave I gave those kids up for adoption. It's the hardest thing I ever had to do in my whole entire life. Very hard. And um, and that pain, I've been working on that pain for freaking 20 years. <laughs> 20 years. But I can say there's progress in that because used to I would see a little blonde-headed boy and I would just cry and I couldn't take around being, I couldn't see any kids without, oh God, all this stuff coming up. And through the 20 years, you know, Higher powers work with me with where I've been, and, you know, I'm in a better place with it. But it's not all healed. It it won't be better until I meet them. And I will meet them because I have a good higher power. And I'm calling him on it today. (laughs) How he, when he does it and how he does it, don't know. And I gotta give that up. Step three. Don't know. Um, so, uh, let's see. Where do I wanna go from there? So pride took me down there. I gave him up for adoption. Um, and the, the key thing for me in my thinking was they have they don't have their mom, they have they don't have their dad. So they one of my criteria, they got to be together. I will not do it unless they're together. Higher power provided that. They were together. To me, even in my sickness, it felt like confirmation that this is what I need to do. Um, I also feeling less than and I've got a whole long list here of I know my disease caused me to make this decision. Um, I wanted them to be in a Christian home. I wanted them to have two parents. You know, I wanted them to, to have stability. I could not provide it. I couldn't do it. And that was just a fact for me. And, um, and I live with the consequences of that. But again, I have to have some compassion on myself. I was doing the best I could at the time. 
and that's all I could have done. I was up against the wall. I had no I had no support system. I had no money. I had no job skills. Alone. And again, hopeless. I was hopeless. And that's one thing that God has shown me through the years. There is always hope. It don't matter. But I didn't see it then because nobody else had shown me any hope in my life. How am I going to know unless somebody shows me? i got to see it. So um, I lost all hope that helped me make that decision. Um, but God met my conditions. And I can tell you that the year after that happened, uh, I felt like I should have been locked up. I didn't. I had no coping skills. I had nothing. And um, but I survived it. You know, I know I used religion to get rid of some of the guilt and the shame, and and you know, trying to be accepted by by a God. Um, and uh, man, it sometimes it's like it wasn't my life, but it is. And I have picture to prove. Um, about a year, like I said, I was really really crazy. Uh, you know, I didn't, it came to the point where I didn't care. Oh, half point. I didn't care if we had to live on food stamps, if we had to live in the projects. I was getting my kids back, by God. And so I called down there and, um, and they said, well, come on down. <gasps> it's like, see, because you know what? I've never, I don't know how to ask for help. That's one of my character defects. I didn't know all I had to do was call. All I did was pick up the phone, call that lawyer and say, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. And he says, hey, you can come down here. Oh, really? It's like, thank you, God. I'm going to get my kids back. So, anyway, I go down there, and I get to visit the kids in the house. Cried the whole time, and could not do it, because they were stable, they were happy, and from what I know, you know, after sexaholism, it's like, oh, God, what next? But from what I could see, they were okay. And so I saw in the paper. And it was finished. And the people told me that, you know, anytime you're down here, oh, you can come see them, blah, 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 blah. But then I get a letter from them after I return home that, no, they don't want me to have any contact. Um, they think it's best for the kids. And I was very angry about that for a long time. But I understand now. I understand. And, it, and it's uh, that important concept of um, letting go and letting God. Because I have to trust God with that. Or I would be crazy. So anyway, I have this long list of, of things that I know uh, assisted me in making this decision. Because they are my character defects. They are my about my disease. My disease was long present before my husband entered into my life. Um, and it was uh, that I didn't think I was good enough. I didn't think I was smart enough. I didn't have a support system. I had a pride. I didn't know how to ask for help. I had no career. I had a fantasy. Like I already told you, get married, live happily ever after. Uh-uh. That's not real. Hopeless, self-pity, judgmental, critical. I was impatient. I was intolerant. I was unrealistic. I was submissive. I was withdrawn. I was resentful. I was envious, depressed, panicky, worrying, self-righteous, tense, fearful, pessimistic, living in the past, fear of the future, procrastinator, aimless, complacent, no boundaries, black and white thinking, a need to control. Um, I had a need to look good. And, buddy, you know, when you do this, it's like... <laughs> I am what I am. Here I am. Uh, no self-identity. No, I didn't trust myself or others. I had a, a feeling of failure. I had shame. I had guilt. I had perfectionism. Um, and I, I lacked seeing any options. And I had unrealistic um, expectations of myself and others. And I know that these things caused me to make the decision that I made. Um, 
But I can tell you that I am grateful that God, you know, if i got to find something good, God, I'm glad that he allowed me that visit. I'm glad i seen what i seen. And that story is not done yet. That story is not done yet. <laughs> and so we'll see what God does with that. I expect good things, God. Hear me now. Um, uh, so anyway, then uh, about in 85, I met my next husband, who was alcoholic, uh, emotionally and physically abusive toward me. Um, and, and through that relationship, um, I had Tiffany. And I can tell you the first thing that I wanted to do when I was pregnant, I wanted the other option. My fear was so great that it's like, you know what, who am I to think that I can have a child when I gave up three for adoption? And so part of my disease helped me out because this alcoholic told me he'd be there for me. That's all I needed to hear. Give me a little hope and I'll take it, you know. And um, so I had Tiffany, and Tiffany has been the biggest. I can be a parent. I can. And I'm grateful beyond belief for that. And so even in his um, alcoholism, he gave me a gift, a great gift. And she does. She is not me. <laughs> and that's that's an even greater gift. My God, when she does things, it's like wow. She's so beyond her years. You know, she she's 16 going on 17. And she has so much wisdom. She's awesome. And I love her. Ooh. Love her. Okay, so uh, make a long story short. Again, I was in and out, in and out of the house before I decided that I was finally going to leave him and, and stay gone. And one of the things that I did is I went to a spouse abuse center, and I stayed there, and I lived there for a while. And this is where I first uh, got in touch with some kind of self-help something. This is the place that in, uh, introduced me to some recovery. And uh, I'm grateful that I was there, and I'm grateful that they showed me the cycle of violence, because in showing me the cycle of violence, I could understand why, you know, my mom, you know, would put up with such a thing, you know. She's living on false hopes. What have I done all my life with these relationships? I have lived on false hope. My fantasy of what I want it to be, not looking at the reality. And so that's one of the gifts that uh, my uh, sexaholic has given me is, by God, i got to look at reality now. However ugly it is, I'm going to look at it. Uh, so, um, I did, uh, get a divorce from him, and, um, after leaving him, um, I, 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 I knew, I learned that, you know, if there's nobody in this world gonna take care of me, girl, you have got to get to work. So, I got a job, it was my first stable job, I had my first apartment, I was not on somebody else's terms, you know, I was finally, you know, taking the steps to be responsible for my life. And in, in this, I was continuing going to meetings at that spouse abuse center, and uh, I actually was able to buy my first house, which is something that this old girl never thought she could have. So that first house was, was God confirming for me that, Nancy, you deserve good things. It's okay. You don't have to beat yourself up with shame and guilt all your life. You know, here, take this. And so my higher power gave that to me. But I have to cooperate. I have to do my part. Um, and then I met husband number three. Um, now, this husband, he had a drug problem. Uh, the only, you know, the spouse, the spouse abuse center taught me what I could look for about active alcoholism. And he did not have these things. As a matter of fact, in my distorted thinking, one of the tests I had for him is, let's go out and drink and see what happens. And so we did, and he was calm, and he's peaceful, and he wasn't violent. And so 
hey, you met the criteria. This is, you know, early in recovery. How was I to know? Kind of thing. And, um, and I thought that in my other husbands, you know, they didn't work. And this one worked sometimes. And sometimes this one even brought money home. And he would hand it to me. Wow, what a concept. Wow, wow, wow. And, um, but he also stole because he was, he was crank, crack, and coke. And I tell you that I, uh, I don't, all, dic- all addictions suck. I can't live with any of them. They make me sick. They trigger me. I can't deal with it. I can't fix it. And it's not my job. Thank God. Um, so anyway, um, again, I have to cut it so short. I just want you to know that even though he was a drug addict, this is the first person that did not emotionally abuse me. He he actually was encouraging. He's the one that said, Nancy, if you want to go back to college, you can, because I did get my GED along that way back there. I support you in doing that. He gave me that gift, that gift that nobody else would give me, the gift my parents weren't even able to say, hey, you know what, you're worth that, do that. They weren't there to encourage me. He was. And I have a lifestyle that I do because of him today, because I am in a better place and I can provide. And... uh you know, I'm grateful for that. And also, I'm very grateful that he taught me that I do deserve respect. And so, if some man comes to my life, like, if my sexaholic tries to say critical stuff, I, I'm not accepting it. That is not acceptable. No, you can't talk to me like that. Uh-uh. Not happening. But he died. He died in his addiction. So, I know that, I know that he struggled. He tried to do a program. But he didn't. He died in his addiction. And I know he did. And, um... And let me say that, like two days before he died, he had a, he had an episode, and I threw a big fit. I was, it was this is part of my disease. I was critical. I was shaming. I was kicking the dog while he was down. Uh, I was shaming him, and then I threw a big silent treatment on. And within this silent treatment, he died. He died, and I didn't get to resolve anything. Nothing. Nothing. And so I had a lot of guilt and shame about that and even, you know, took the responsibility of, you know, maybe I caused it because, you know, I used to pray for it. God, get him out of my life. You know, make him go away. And so, whew, that was big for me. And I've struggled with those issues also. So, um, what his death has taught me, the gift in him, is i seen him struggle with his recovery. And because of the way that I criticized him and my disease was out there when he died. Uh, I It just makes me know that I'm still here and I have a choice. And I do not want to die miserable in my disease because my disease can kill me too. It can kill me uh, spiritually, emotionally. And, and I'm, not, I, I'm not willing to sacrifice. There's still a part of me that wants to survive. Thank God. Um, and so anyway... I had all this, and then comes my sexaholic. And and so what I needed, uh, this is what I needed to know as a child, and these are all the things that my sexaholic gave me. He looked perfect. He was my Prince Charming. He was. I needed, I needed to know I was loved. I needed to be heard. I needed to be able to feel. I needed to feel safe. I needed to feel my feelings. I needed them to be there for me. I needed them to encourage me. I needed them to guide me. I needed consistency. I needed to express my opinions and thoughts. I needed um, them to listen. I needed them to hold me. I needed them to be my example. Um, I needed them to teach me how to communicate. I needed them to support my growth and development. And I needed them to spend time with me. And so when my sexaholic showed up, I was cured. (laughs) I thought I was cured. And so, (laughs) 
I mean, I really did. I thought I had gone through all this crap. Now it's my turn because I was offered things I never had. It looked like love to me. And I'm sure in his way it was and is, so I don't want to minimize it. God forbid. Um, um, and so uh, our relationship, it was a long-distance relationship. I lived in Kentucky. He lived in Tennessee, but he called me every night. Oh, God, he was good. And um, anyway, we married about uh, a year a year and a half after that. That's the longest time I have ever dated anybody because usually, I forgot to tell you all, I usually move in with them thinking that, you know what, if I don't like this, I end up marrying them anyway, even after I live with them and see what they're doing because I think it's going to fix it. Wrong answer. And sexaholism taught me that. It's not about them. It's about me. So uh, anyway, we got married. Shortly after we got married, uh, it wasn't a month and a half, my daughter called me. And uh, reality set in. And um, she had been, all I can do is say it. She called me up said that um, he was massaging her, and she became aware of a physical response that he had had. Uh, she was in a lot of fear. She was scared. And I had just started, you know, I just sold my house, just been here a month and a half, started a new job. What could I do? It was taking me back to my three kids. Oh, my God. What what am I going to do? What am I going to This whole issue came up again. And, um, and I told her, she wanted me to leave then. And it's like, Tiffany, I can't do that. You know, I, I wanted her to be safe. And I'm so grateful. This I got to get this out too. I'm so grateful that she was able to come to me, because for six months from this from the time this happened to six months is like when we're, when we started coming to recovery. If she would have kept her mouth shut, and I know diseases progress, I fear to shudder to think what would have happened had she not been brave enough to open her mouth and say what happened. And I confronted him that night, and uh, of course I was in a tizzy. <laughs> I was out there, but I told Tiffany. I said, Tiffany, you have a choice. You have a dad. And right now, I cannot leave. I cannot. Because I won't be able to support you. I cannot leave. And you have a dad. And her, in my opinion, her dad had not been there for her. This was his opportunity. Plus, I had no, I know that I learned a lot when I went and thought I was going to go live with my dad. Because she used to threaten me all the time. It's like, here's your opportunity. Go do it. And um, and so, uh, then I found, uh, you know, Esnon about um, six months later. Um, and um, my life has been different. Ever since then, um, I can tell you that uh, I took that advice. Uh, you told me to wait a year before I made any major decisions. And so I stayed a year, but and I kept coming to meetings, kept coming to meetings, because I needed to make a choice when I was centered. I didn't need to make it in anger. I needed to be centered, and so I took my year. But then within that year, I decided that it was time for me to... Um, it was time for me to move out. And so I chose to move out, and I moved out in an apartment for six months because I wanted a short lease because, you know, I really wanted to go back. And um, anyway, it turned out that I didn't go back. I've been out for two and a half years now. But the awesome thing to me also, which is confirmation from my higher power, is that when I moved out, I did not tell Tiffany that I was moving out. She had no clue that I was making any, that I was even going there in my head. I did this without her knowledge. And about two days after I did it, she called me on the telephone. She said, Mom, I want to come back and live with you. I was like, oh, I see. You know when I take the right action, you move mountains. And um, so she, she spent like um, that half a year 
at a private school that I wanted to go to, and she lived in the dorm for for that half year. And then I had a decision to make. Am I going to buy a house? What am I going to do? But I can tell you, in my disease, I wanted to manipulate. I wanted to be able to live with my husband and have my daughter at the same time. I thought about, oh, I can put locks on her door. I can take her everywhere I go. That would be crazy making. Crazy making. And if anything ever happened to her, when now I have the knowledge, I could not live with myself. And ultimately, I have to live with me. You all know. I do. And so, I've been out two and a half years. And I also need to also state that um, we've been going to therapy. And our therapist suggested that we report this to child services. This was reported to child services. I had two interviews. He had two interviews. And Tiffany had two interviews. And I was very angry that I had to call because this was not my stuff. But... I know that there's also good in that because that makes he has to be responsible. Other people know. You know, you keep a secret and it's only going to get worse. It's out there. This is this is not something that it's okay. Um, and so um, I have to, uh, you know, a lot of shame about that for me. Oh, my God, I cannot believe. I did not know. Like, you know, I prayed for everything about what my next husband looked like. I did not know I was supposed to ask about sexaholism. I didn't know what sexaholism looked like until it entered my world. No clue. And so and so when it happened, after I started going to meetings, of course, I had to laugh. Because, oh, I'm not done. You know, I, I'm still sick here, man. <laughs> i got to have some help. You know, and, and have to laugh about how God, God is big. And God knows, my God knows how to touch me, talk to me, and transform me in a personal way, you know, it's in our own way, in our own time. And I have met that higher power. And he continues to reveal to me what the next right thing is. And one of them is to face my fear. Because fear paralyzes me. And I'm sitting here today telling you this. Only because my higher power. I would not volunteer for this on my own. I would not. And so that's an awesome gift that my higher power, as I move out of my comfort zone, and I become willing, and I leave and let live, and I release, and know that it's a process, good things come. And my life is not perfect, um, but you know my life is better than it ever has been, and I wouldn't change it for anything. Everything has been as it should be. And everything has happened to make me who I am. And I'm learning to know who I am. Because of the gift of the program. And uh, I thank you all for being willing to witness my story. To uh, give me support, love, and encouragement. And I'm not done yet. (laughs) So um, I am so glad that I am not alone. I used to think I was alone. I'm not alone. I have a higher power, and I have you all. And you are teaching me how to reach out. You are teaching me how to love. You're teaching me how to forgive. You're teaching me how to hope. You're teaching me how to laugh. You're teaching me how to play. You're teaching me how to have compassion on me. Because you give it to me, I can now give it to myself. And that is an awesome gift that can't be bought. And I need that the most. And so, I'll close with this. This is something I have hanging on my wall. For me to live, i got to have inspiration around me.
because I was not given as a child. And so I'm taking the old stuff out and some new stuff's got to be in there. When my sponsor first told me that I ought to do some affirmations, I thought, hooey dooey. <laughs> and now for the last year, it's like, where am I at? Where are they at? You know, where are they at? I got to have them. I got to put something new in there. And this is one of the things I have on my wall. And so I'll close with this. Acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me, and I cannot find serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it was supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing, happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my addictions, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept my life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as what needs to be changed in me and my attitude. So with that, I will close and say, and so it is. This was a true inspiration that God told me to ask Nancy because this was our gift to you. Thank you all. And let's go ahead and close with the serenity prayer. Oh, yeah. You want something else? Oh, no. Oh, okay. Can I, I would like to ask, since this is my circle. Absolutely. I would like that um, we would be willing to open our eyes and um, see the God that's available to us where we are when we say the serenity prayer. But if you're not comfortable, do what you want. Hey, take what you want, leave the rest. <laughs> Go ahead. God, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Keep coming back. It works if you work it and work it because you're worth it. Yes, we are. This is so good.
I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.